and lover of all things lit, professional reviewer, recommender, book blogger. I am your host, Lloyd Russell, aka The Book Sage, and you're listening to Lit with Lloyd, courtesy of KCAT Radio. Welcome to Lit with Lloyd. I am your host, Lloyd Russell. Uh, I want to give a, a shout out to KCAT for uh, producing our show and providing such great um, service to our, our podcast. Uh, and um, today, um, I want to introduce you to somebody who uh, I've read her book, one of her books, um, and uh, she also zoomed into our book club during the infamous pandemic. Um, and her name is Lila Ibrahim. So Lila, thank you for coming and welcome. Thank you very much. I'm so glad to be here with you in person. Great, thank you. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, what kind of work you did before you started writing novels. Yeah, so um, I never thought I would be a novelist. Like it was the <laughs> furthest thing from my mind. I studied attachment theory in college and was a preschool teacher, because what do you do with a BA in psychology? You know, become a preschool teacher. And I thought I might go on to do academic research and get a PhD, and then that was all a little too academic for me. So I decided <laughs> to do my own preschool. So for 13 years, I had a preschool in my backyard that I just absolutely loved. Um, and then after that, I was a doula, birth doula, and then I um, was the director of religious education for my church, the director of children and family ministries. I had some properties that I managed on the side. <laughs> um, never imagined I would make a living as a novelist. So it's really quite a joy to get to tell these stories that mean so much to me. Well, we're going to get into the books, of course, um, but it would—it seems like it would have been natural to write a children's book or a young adult book. Did, did that ever come up? What's funny is I did write a few children's books. <laughs> like, I really did. And I'm like, oh, those are in the back there somewhere. And I went to like a, um, a conference for it, for like a children's book writers conference. And yeah, so it really is a surprise that I'm writing you know, commercial fiction, basically. Um, but I'm writing commercial fiction about mothering and about attachment and parenting and difficult situations and finding faith um, in the context of systemic oppression, basically. So, so it, it does fit, but it's also a little surprising. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but you're still talking about families. <laughs> I am still talking about families. And I'm talking about, like, I think an not in Living Right, but like in almost every one of my novels, there's a birth scene, right? Or a breastfeeding <laughs> scene or like these little acts of mothering that I just really like to hold up, like how you interact with your children. And it's those small moments um, that build your relationship. And so those are always portrayed in my novels. Well, I guess the good news is that you don't actually have to go out and do research on those things. <laughs> I don't own those things. On the history, oh my God, there is so much research that goes into each one of my novels from uh, historical facts. Okay, Let, let's get into the novels. Which was, is your first one and how did you get it published? Okay, so Yellow Crocus is my first one and that's the one where the idea just kind of whoop, came into me. I was 33 and I, for seven years, decided I could not possibly write a novel. So I absolutely was like, I'm not writing that novel. I'm not writing that novel. <laughs> and then like scenes would come into my mind and I would like, my kids were kind of young. I'd wake up in the night and get them back to sleep. And then I'd go to bed and I'd just think of a scene. And So I, I had all these friends that when they turned 40, they ran marathons. 
I'm like, I'm not running a marathon, <laughs> but I'm going to see if I could maybe write that book, which now I just look, I, it's just crazy. So I started writing it when I was 40, um, sent it to editors, sent it to agents. I had lots of friends read it. They're like, yeah, it's beautiful. My friends were like, fix this, change this, you know. And in that long process, what I kept hearing from people, from like the professionals was like good writing, but nobody, the story, no. Nobody wants to read this story. Do you have anything else? And I'm like, I have this story. Like, this story tapped me on the shoulder and wow. said, I have to be written. So there was a moment with one editor who basically told me why it was such a bad book. And as he's reading the end of the book to me, he starts crying. Ah. And, like, he literally was so choked up he had to stop reading. And he looked at me and he said, that's as good an ending as they get, isn't it? And I said, yeah, it's a wow. really honest heartbreaking beautiful ending and in that really in that moment I was like I'm gonna self-publish this like it may not be what some editor in New York or San Francisco thinks a book should be but I think there'll be some people who are glad for this story so I self-published it using it was um create space which create space Amazon then bought and then as a fluke I clicked Kindle. I'm like, eh, for 80 bucks, I can make a Kindle version. <laughs> I didn't know anyone who had a Kindle at that point, maybe one person. <laughs> and um, and then a couple years later, KDP, the uh, Kindle direct publishing thing kicked in and, um, and I just ran with it. I ran with, I think I got so many books out there because I would write to a lot of bloggers and I would offer to do giveaways and I just kept pushing, just kept doing a little bit of marketing all the time. So that, and then I hit the KDP thing just right and um, they would allow you to give away books. So I gave away books for five days at the end of 2013, no, beginning of 2013, excuse me, January of 2013 and 45,000 people downloaded my book. Oh my gosh, you're kidding. How did they even find it? Well, because of these programs. So it was one of the free books. It was like the beginning oh. of the free book list. Whoa. And it had been on there for like maybe a year, two years by that point. One year at that point. But it had really good reviews. Like people were like, oh my God, this is the most beautiful story ever. And it has 4.7 stars. Like it got 4.7 stars when it was 50 books. And that never changed. And now I'm at well, I've sold a million of them. Whoa. So it's still 4.7 stars. So um, so that, and then, and I kept using that program to help me just sell more and get it in front of people. And, and then a publish, a, an editor from Lake Union reached out to me and said, can we republish this? And I, I mean, it's kind of funny. Like I, I got a... Um, a text and it says you know we love yellow crocus and i'm thinking okay here i am getting some you know scam email and i open it up and it's like i just finished reading your book we'd love to republish it would you talk with me and i thought and his his it was an amazon at the top of the heading and i was like can you believe it's such a tiny tiny publisher that Amazon hasn't gone after them for using the name Amazon. <laughs> and then I look him up and I'm like, oh, Amazon actually has imprints. I had no idea Amazon had its own imprints oh, at that point in time. So I call him up and he was such a lovely man, Terry Goodman, and he was just awesome to work with. And they're, they're, I really appreciate their 
publishing model. It's worked really great for me. So yeah, so they republished it in August of 2014, and it has sold, like I said, a million books. Wow. In all different forms, right? In Kindle yeah, 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 and yeah. That, giveaways, that, that, and you know, not that, the giveaway. Like, but I make money under Kindle Unlimited. It, I know all these things. So yeah, they have been great to me. They didn't want my second novel, which was not quite right for them. And I respected that. And, but they asked if I had anything else. And I said, well, I was thinking of a sequel to Yellow Crocus or a companion to Yellow Crocus. Cause it takes place like 20, 20 some years after the end of it. So, um, off the start of it. Yeah. 28 years after the start of that book. So anyway, yeah. so, and they, I give them an outline and they took it and it's been happy sailing ever since. So they've taken all the other books as well? They have. So the, so Mustard Seed, it was a two book contract. So it was Mustard Seed and then anything else I wanted. And that was Paper Wife. And then I got another two book contract based on an outline for Golden Poppies. And that was Golden Poppies and Scarlet Carnation. And those are also part of... Uh, the I, companion Yes, I call series. them companion novels, right, exactly. Because <laughs> yeah. it's basically gen- intergenerational. So it's like a mother, it's like a. there's two different families that we're following, and then one family's going to kind of go away a bit. So there's two different families we're following, and then the next book, it's like the next generation, and then the next generation, the next generation. I think everybody calls those a series, but I'm, I like the, the word companion. Yeah, they're just, I don't leave them as like cliffhangers. Right? Uh-huh. so that it does feel all wrapped up and you can read it individually. But if you want to know what happens to those families, keep reading. Yeah. All right, let me go back to the to the guy who cried at the end of Yellow Crocus. I, I, I feel so strongly that that it takes an emotional connection of some kind to elevate a book. Yeah. He's full of crap. There, you, you don't cry unless the first part of it or the, or the first 90% of it led to the crying at the end. Exactly. So that was that's that's bogus. But anyway, it, it all worked out. It just did. Fine. It worked out great and gave me the courage to, you know, jump into the self-publishing thing. And I'm just so grateful. OK, so now Lake Union, it does them all. Uh, it's done it, all of them except, except um, for uh, Living Right. Ex- OK. Yeah. OK. Yeah. And they they. Don't want to pick that one back up now. They haven't. They haven't offered to. <laughs> okay. All right. So, you finished your your next two book contract. Yeah. What's What's happening now? Moving forward. Right. So right now I have a one book contract with them as well. Um, apparently that's more common these days. The publishing industry is um, in flux. Right. It's uh-huh. in transition. So I have a one book contract with them. This is World War Two era. Um, right now I'm calling it um, Cherry Blossoms. We'll see if that ends up being the final name. <laughs> I didn't really intend to do all these flowers, but it's it, it works for me with each of the novels. So, um, and uh, it's, I think the interesting thing for me about being with World War II is there's an immediacy because my parents lived through that time. And, you know, I was born in 1965, and the story I told myself was that World War too was so far before I was born uh-huh. and now as I'm like thinking about when 9-11 happened and that was only 20 years ago I'm like well, no of course that was a culture that I swam in but I think the United States really did just try to like package it or maybe the whole world did package it up and be like that's our history uh, it's behind us but then the amount of trauma people experienced in World War II 
We're still unpacking yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is true for all my books. I mean, that's part of what I'm talking about, like what we've inherited, right, culturally, and what's beautiful about what we inherit, but what's also um, painful or complicated about what we inherit. How did you come up with the name Yellow Crocus? Ah, I didn't come up with it before I wrote the novel, and I had, oh, just lists and names, you know, just, oh, I can't believe how many things I wrote down. And then it, at one point, I was thinking about how in really good stories there's an image right so the ruby slippers right in the wizard of oz and like that image kind of takes you almost holds the name the story and and when i thought of that i was thinking about like my novel and like what's what's the what's the image in there that holds the whole story and i realized it was the yellow crocuses that were already in the book and the, uh, the yellow crocuses represent the intergenerational transmission of attachment. So basically, my main characters are Maddie and Lizbeth. So it's an enslaved woman and, uh, who's black and a little baby who's white. And Lizbeth's culture, because Maddie was a person who cared for her, most of her culture actually came, a lot of her culture came from Maddie. And so the yellow crocuses are something that Maddie's mother talked about that were kind of a symbol for faith and joy and beauty in the world, despite being in difficult circumstances. And so then you see Maddie giving that to Lisbeth and Lisbeth giving it to her child in the book. Okay. Uh, and and the, the four companion books, uh, can I say the four companion books in the series? <laughs> sure. <Okay. laughs> Or four books in the series. I'm fine with you calling them a series. <laughs> now, now I'm, I'm always going to have to refer to a series as companions, if if it's if it's if that's correct. Um, uh, how, how did you pick all the different time eras, and how did you actually do the research? Did you do the research on site? And before you answer. We're going to take a quick break. <laughs> we'll be right back. Thank you to the city of Montessorino for their continued support of KCAT Public Media. The city of Montessorino has enabled KCAT to inspire, educate, entertain, and inform our community through the magic of television and digital media for over 38 years. Thank you. And we are back with Lila Ibrahim. Uh, so I asked a question right before the break, uh, and now you can answer. Yeah, so you asked me like, <laughs> how I come up with the time period for the next one. And I think what's, I mean, the muse is just the most fascinating thing in the world. Like why I've, you know, as they say, the universe taps me on the shoulder and says to write something. But I think I was thinking about, I don't want to give away too much for Yellow Crocus, but basically there were things that happened in Yellow Crocus that affected people. And I was like, oh, what, what was the outcome of that effect? And then I also was realizing how little I knew about Oh, wow. Okay. I also was remembering how little I knew about Reconstruction and the Reconstruction uh -huh. period. But, okay. What really what really got me to write Yellow Crocus, do you know who Brian Stevenson is? Mm -hmm. He wrote Just Mercy. 
Which I've read. Yeah. So pull into my driveway. Terry Gross is interviewing Brian Stevenson, and he says, it's better to be guilty and wealthy in this country than poor and innocent. And I think to myself in a very snarky way, you had to go to law school to know that? (laughs) And then I thought to myself, wait, I don't want to have that reaction to that. You know, it is true that it's better to be guilty and wealthy in this country than innocent and poor. But how did that happen? And of course, that is not the country I was taught we were, right? And so that's part of what got me. And I think this was the the beginning of the Black Lives Matter movement. I think um, trying to understand kind of police brutality and how that's kind of baked into our society. And so mustard seed on a political level is is looking at the rise of convict leasing and mass incarceration as a way to get free and reduced price labor. And so I was like, I think I want to draw the line from enslavement to now. How do we get here? And what what are the steps that got us here? And so mustard seed felt like the next logical mm. um, step in that sequence. Wow. Uh, I, I, that's really fascinating, truly. Uh, did the research help help you connect the dots? Oh, 100%. I mean, it's just, it's awful when you read about uh. it. So um, there was a series on PBS and a book called Worse Than Slavery. And, you know, you think, oh, that's hyperbole. How could it be worse than slavery, the convict leasing system? But once you read those things, you realize it was in many ways worse than slavery. Wow. Partly because slavery was um, was a huge, huge financial investment to buy a human, right? It cost a lot of money. What started happening um, in the South, and then it kind of gets exported around the country, is that that a plantation or um, a railroad company or even a county that needs a road built would go to a judge and go to the justice of the peace and say, I need 200 workers. And they'd go out and arrest people. And then they'd lease those workers to plantations. They'd lease it to railroads. They'd lease it to counties that are trying to build roads. And the lease was, you know, say $7 a month. So they, they didn't actually care if they worked someone to death because mm-hmm. it didn't, it, it, they weren't losing a lot of money if they, they worked someone to death. So there really were ways in which it was worse than slavery. And, mm. and when... Those, those books start with um, a, a young woman writing to President Roosevelt in the 19, I don't know, 1912, 16, I don't know, somewhere in there when the first President Roosevelt was president, saying, you know, my brother got arrested for loitering. They said he'd be back in a month and he's still gone. What happened? And the federal government looked into it and realized this was happening and they charged the judge and they charged the justice of the police and the, and the sheriff with, you know, basically it was unethical because they're they're pocketing all a bunch of money for this. And then people were like, oh, it's happening in our county. It's happening in our county. It's happening in our county. And the federal government realized that if they shut this down, the whole economy would collapse because the economy in the South was based on having such reduced price labor. So they just packed it right up and stopped doing it. And so, you know, that's the era in which Dr. King was raised. Mm. Um, one of the more kind of profound moments was when Eric Holder, his 
wife was like, oh, yeah, my uncle. That happened to my uncle. Like, mm-hmm. we all knew that. Um, so it was very prevalent. And so I just kind of wanted to talk about how that affected one particular family. Wow. So wow. It's insane. And you realize, oh, this is why we are where we are now. Like, this nation was built as a caste system that oppressed some people and privileged others. And yeah, yeah. we're living with the outcome of that. Yeah. What book is that? What number book is that? That's Mustard Seed. And that's the second? That's the second. In your companion series. (laughs) Uh, The other two, were they five and six? The Um, other two in that series? Let's see. Yes. Yeah, they were five and six. Okay. Yeah. So how did you end up writing three and four as standalones? Or two and four, right? Because number two is Living Right. Oh, okay. Number two is Living Right, and then number four is Paper Wife. Okay. How yeah. did you do that? Yeah, so Paper Wife, I kind of love this story. I have a friend who said to me, I was in my mom's uterus on Angel Island. You should write my story next. <laughs> After I'd written Yellow Crocus. She was probably 80 at the time. And I was like, I'm not writing your story, Dorothy. That's not how it works. And then I went to Angel Island. Have you been there to Angel Island, the Immigration Detention Center? And I was like, wow, yep. this is a story. And I hadn't heard it, right? I hadn't heard it from an individual family's life. I'd heard it, you know, it, like I'd known about paper wives. I'd known this thing happened. But when you see, for me, what's interesting is the mech, like the really small mechanisms of the systems that were put in place and then what people do to get around those systems. Um, so I was like, oh, I've got that two book deal and I can write whatever I want. Wow. I think I'm just gonna write a novel about that. And so I did, just started doing the research and that was kind of fun. So for my for Yellow Crocus and Mustard Seed, my research was a lot of books and movies and yeah. Whereas once I got to, um, my later books, I can look at newspapers very easily and like read what people were actually reading in the town that I'm talking about. And there's even some video for like um, Paper Wife, like there was video of from China that I could look at. Um, so that was kind of cool to get into enough modern time period where I could both see the like I could see what the people who were having that experience saw. Yeah. Which I love. Wow. Uh, your next book or your next couple of books. Uh, are they going to be companions or standalones? They are going to be companions. Both of them. I mean, they yes, they're going to both. I think all the rest are going to be companion at some level. So right now, the one I'm working on is um, the 1940s. So um, Scarlet Carnation is in the uh, basically World War One era, and then um, the one we didn't talk about is Golden Poppies which is in the 1890s. So I'm just kind of hopping forward every like 20 years or so. Uh, so World War II now, and then I'm going to do um, the 60s. So, and that one, it's interesting. I mean, I think it will be a companion novel, but it's also going to be my most personal. Uh, so it's interesting writing a character now who's a little girl, and I'm like, oh, and you're my mom. It's kind of crazy even just wow. to say that, but you're my mom. And, um, and I'm going to talk about how the 1960s and her marriage and stuff, you know, impacted her and our lives and such. So it's going to be, yeah, it'll be interesting. Well, it, it sounds like you personalize your books to a certain extent. I do a lot. You can definitely tell what's happening in my life 100% <laughs> by like what's in my books is going on in my life, like in that moment at some level. So what would, would you call your books 
historical fiction? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, yeah, they're absolutely because they're all fiction. they are all historical. You don't have any contemporary. Well, some would call Living Right contemporary. It was um, set in two thousand four, uh-huh. and I published it in twenty. 15 I think so um so that one's the most contemporary but I'm planning to come to at least 2000 like to take the descendants of these characters all the way to the 2000s though I might end up in 2020 because man COVID was so interesting (laughs) (laughs) but what's interesting when I was writing um the last novel uh the Spanish flu right the 1918 flu Uh was happening so I researched that all fall and then in the spring I'm writing and we're in the middle of our own pandemic And I'm writing about that pandemic. So that was super interesting to to have that mirror going on in my life. Well, it kind of seems like you won't have to do as much research if you write a book about the pandemic, because obviously it's always compared to uh, the Spanish influenza. Yeah. Wow. Uh, so you've got a one book deal mm-hmm. and and you're working on that one now. Yes. Uh, and what will happen after that? If if. If they give you another one or two book deal, will you automatically take it or will, will. you shop it around? You no, will. I will. Yeah, I've been very happy with them. They've been a great publisher for me. I really like their model. It works well for me. So, you know, I, I, internationally, I've had other publishers. I haven't in the U.S. ever worked with a publisher. Internationally, I have. Um, and there's things I really like about the non-traditional publishing model of Amazon. How many, how many languages are your books in? I think 12 include English it's crazy I should my favorite cover is the Russian yellow crocus no kidding it's just beautiful yeah and and uh, um oh god am I gonna remember I'm spacing on that there's a language no I'm spacing okay yeah is um is is every book in a foreign country have a different uh cover some of them have the same cover as each other because the Amazon Crossing did them and they chose the same cover but none of them have the same cover as from the U.S. Okay, and some uh, have completely different covers. And 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 are are your are all your books in in e and audio? Yes. What about when they're in other countries? Do they also do e-books and audio books? Some do, some don't. What's interesting is, and I, I I've heard this anyway. The Dutch ones, the audio books, are just over the top like they listen to so many audiobooks that's one of my best sales oh wow yeah is dutch audiobooks i'm like wow okay <laughs> yeah you know i I, the, I feel very strongly that people that listen to audiobooks are reading mm-hmm. uh and yet i think a lot of people it's kind of a little bit of a stigma that if you're listening to an audiobook you aren't actually reading the book and i think that's wrong i think they're hearing a story and to me, it's the story that matters. Yeah. I don't actually care that they're reading it with their eyes. I'm glad that they're experiencing the story I told. And so if they're hearing the story rather than reading the story, I'm I, I'm grateful that there's yeah. people that that's how they can get this. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's great. And I love listening to audiobooks while I'm exercising or walking. So I understand that choice very, yeah. very well. My books, the four companion novels are... Um, the person who read the first one did all four. Her name's Bonnie Turpin, and she won Best Audiobook of the Year for Yellow Crocus. No kidding! Yeah, wow. way back when, in like 2015 or 14. And did your sales kind of jump up? Yeah, they were really good back then, though. <laughs> <laughs> 
my sales were crazy back then. There weren't there wasn't that much on the Kindle, so they they'd uh, run a special on it, and I'd sell fourteen hundred books in an hour. Oh, right. Wow. So they were just it was amazing. So that's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. All right, so you're going to stay with Lake Union as long as they as long as they'll as, have as me as long as they want you, which yeah. I think is great. Yeah. But but I've always been a little confused. Is it a combo of self-publish and publisher, or is it all publisher? Lake Union is all publisher. Okay. They're just a completely traditional, not traditional, because they they don't they don't focus as much on bookstores as traditional publishers do. Um, they're definitely focused on selling through the Amazon site, but you can get them through bookstores. Although sure. they do have they do have the brick and mortar stores. They do, and people will send me pictures of my books from them, which I just love. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's different than self publishing through KDP, which is an Amazon company that you can use to self publish, which is how I publish um, Living Right. It seems like a lot of authors do go through Lake Union. I don't know how many they have. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've heard from other authors. I I haven't done a count. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, their um their specialty is book club books, so you might actually attract authors who are like Lake Union authors because that's what they're going after is book club books for uh, that one. They have a number of imprints. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, uh, so I read, you know, Paper Wife. Yeah. What what do I read next? Oh, I always say yellow. Start with yellow crocus. Okay. Although, I, yeah, and it's interesting. I haven't. So I feel like living right is my like poor little stepchild, and I'm still proud, right, that I make that it sells and people love it. Like, and and it ha, people have stronger feelings about it. I guess I would say, but I think yellow crocus is a really good way to go. And then if you like it, you want to know more about these characters, you just keep going. They're fast reads. All my books are fast. They're page turners about intense things. Okay. Uh, and the last question I have is, mm -hmm. uh, how do you, how do you dedicate your time to writing? Mm. Do, you, do you have a schedule? I do. Yeah. <laughs> I've got, I've, I've, I've got it down to kind of a nice, a nice thing. When I first wrote Yellow Crocus, I did, I had other jobs and my children were home and I would go on retreats. That was kind of the only way I could get stuff done. Now it's kind of embarrassing, except for the fact that I, I'm productive, so I'm just gonna go with it. Um, I, when I'm like, so I do my research, I outline the book, and then when I'm actually writing like the narrative of it, it's mostly comes out as screenplay. It's mostly dialogue, my first draft. And that draft, my dialogue first draft, I mostly write it in bed. Like I literally keep my computer by my bed, I like go to sleep and I think, okay, this is the next scene I want to work on. I let my brain do its magic, get my laptop and write a scene, two, three, four, five, whatever, whatever pours out that morning. I write until 1130 most days. Then I get up, I have lunch and then I get dressed. So it's a little odd, um, but that's works. It's works well for me. I can edit at two in the afternoon. I can edit at seven at night, but like what I call like fresh creative writing just goes so much better if I do it almost in a dream state, like without having opened my email or yeah. talk to anyone. There, there, there may not be two authors that have the exact same routine. I know. I know. <laughs> and I think it's just fine tuning and knowing for yourself, like what works for you, what works for you, what works for you. Wow. All right. Well, that's going to do it for us. It was fantastic having you here. Uh, 
I'm, I'm really, really glad that you came. Thank you so much. I was so glad to be here. Thank you. So that'll do it for us today. Um, we are closing the book on the podcast. I want to thank KCAT for, again, producing the show. Uh, I want to thank uh, Lila for coming down to, to spend the time with us. Uh, and uh, if you um, are interested in uh, watching or listening to uh, this uh, interview or others, uh, you can go on lloyd.show uh, and uh, it'll direct you. So thank you all and we'll see you next time. You just heard Lit with Lloyd here on KCAT Radio. Explore all our KCAT original programming at kcat.org slash radio. Thank you.